Welcome to another episode of the Dear Heart and the Brain podcast. I'm your host, Jess Wong, and I like to talk about science and science-based tools, particularly in neurobiology, exercise physiology, and the nutritional sciences. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and hit that follow button on Spotify so you never miss a single podcast episode. Today, we are going to be talking about nutrigenomics. It's a general consensus in nutrition research that there is no size fits all in nutrition planning, right? It's really personalized. Of course, many factors are at play, but one reason why certain meal plans work for one person but not for another may have to do with human genetics. This is nutrigenomics. Nutrigenomics which means nutrition plus genomics, is a pretty fascinating cutting-edge science that reveals how one can create the best path in their health. It's essentially the field that includes both the study of how the whole body responds to macro and micronutrients, as well as how single single genes and food compounds will interact. Nutrigenomics refers to how nutrients influence your body to express genes, and nutrigenetics refers to how your body will respond to ingested nutrients because of existing genetic makeup. In fact, I didn't even know that nutrigenomics existed until my Dural 411 elective course at USC, which is entitled Physiology, Aging, and Nutrition from Spring 2021 semester. The Human Genome Project of the 1990s was completed in 2003, and it mapped out the human DNA of approximately 20,500 genes, and this helped pave the way for the modern era of nutrigenomics research, and it really helped us to take a step forward and move the needle to examine how genes influence the body's response to diet. And genes, right? It's an important framework for the human body function, as each gene holds a unique recipe for all the thousands of proteins that we have. Proteins direct how things are built, how things move in our cells, to things that we don't even think about, right? We know that our genes affect how certain conditions run in the family, such as how some genes we inherit from our parents or grandparents can affect illness susceptibility, allergy formation, or disease. But it's not just that genes influence our nutrition. It's a two-way street, actually. Our nutrition also influences our genes, and this is the science of nutrigenomics. Nutrigenomics is the study of how genes and nutrients interact, and I really believe that this is an exciting field of nutritional science that can one day change the future of nutrition and medicine. Nutrigenomics has presented some pretty remarkable data looking at how genomic data can determine our responses to the foods we eat, the supplements we take, and even more. According according to Dr. Ahmed El-Somi, who is one of the pioneers of this field know that nutrigenetics asks two questions right one how much of each nutrient should a particular person consume and two what are the biological effects of a specific nutrient first there are so many variations found throughout the human genome that can explain why some people can eat a high-fat diet and have no problem with their cholesterol levels while others experience the exact opposite the second approach that nutrigenomic researchers use is to investigate how nutrients and bioactive compounds in our diet can turn off or turn on some certain genes. And these are the very genes that impact important metabolic and physiological processes in our body. 
For example, let's look at a study in the Journal of American Medical Association that showed how caffeinated coffee intake lowered the risk of heart attacks for some, but others, the same dose of caffeinated coffee increased the risk of heart attacks, right? And it had to do with genes. So there's this gene, it's called CYP1A2, that breaks down caffeine, ingested caffeine in your liver. And the folks who had a quote-unquote slow version of this gene had an increased risk of heart attack when increasing the consumption of caffeinated coffee. So, And then those with a fast version of this gene had a lower risk of heart attacks with moderate coffee intakes. The reason why those with the fast version of this gene may might benefit from caffeinated coffee is that they can break down caffeine really, really fast and get rid of the caffeine in their bloodstream while still preserving the beneficial antioxidants that are present in coffee. Right? The study revealed that that the antioxidants in the coffee, not the caffeine, might offer protection for the heart. In the end, caffeine isn't going to be the thing that's probably good for heart disease. It's not. But if you can quickly metabolize caffeine, then you can benefit from the other compounds in coffee or tea that are pretty pretty good sources of antioxidants, right? Also, it's important to note that being a fast metabolizer for caffeine doesn't make you a fast metabolizer of other dietary factors because enzymes coded by each gene are very specific to the compounds that they metabolize. Some folks think that they're slow metabolizers of caffeine just because if they have coffee in the afternoon, they're kept all night, but this just means that caffeine binds more efficiently and effectively to a specific receptor in the nervous system, which I talked to or talked about in a previous episode, and that receptor is called the adenosine receptor. Remember, right? I gave you the um, car parking example, where if caffeine is parking in adenosine's um, parking spot, adenosine can't can park anymore and you feel less tired, right? That doesn't tell you anything about how quickly caffeine is being metabolized in the liver, which is the main organ that's responsible for metabolizing caffeine. And that's how caffeine acts as a stimulant. The only way to know whether you're a fast or slow metabolizer of caffeine is by having a DNA test. Additionally, in a previous episode, we talked about vitamin D, remember? Almost 40% of Americans are deficient in vitamin D, and as I shared before, we obtain vitamin D either through the foods we eat or by exposing our skin to sunlight. However, remember that vitamin D from food and vitamin D from the sun is not active, so it can't do much alone. It's the vitamin D precursor called called cholecalciferol that must be activated and be converted into calcitriol that requires many steps and enzymes in our livers and kidneys. And then, the calcitriol will bind to vitamin D receptors that are found throughout the body to activate genes to make the proteins that enable the absorption of calcium from food and beverages. Right? These are the genetic variations that impact the amount of vitamin D your body can use. Vitamin D is just one of the many examples of how one person's need for a specific vitamin is not enough for another person based on different genes, right? So nutrigenomics is a very, very exciting and new area of research, as you know now. And there are several studies still working to learn about how the ability of fish oil to lower blood lipids with the PPARG gene and how saturated fat reduction can affect cholesterol levels with the APO gene 
or how phytochemicals in green tea can be more biologically active in some individuals, right? This is a really exciting field of research. But the last one that I mentioned. A number of studies are now showing how some folks can break down the compounds in green tea more slowly and don't need to consume as much green tea to get the same benefits. Moreover, genes can also affect the foods that we select because of our brain's reward system. We had an episode all about dopamine, right? Different nutrients and bioactives, right? They have different effects on dopamine and serotonin levels, both of which these neurotransmitters affect mood and behavior. So it's all based on our genotype. There are about two dozen genes that code for bitter taste receptors in our tongue and the variations in these genes can explain why some folks find cilantro really delicious and others don't, right? Although extensive research has been conducted on the connection between genetics, diet, and health, the science of nutrigenomics is still emerging and we still have a lot to learn about solving this puzzle. Genes are just one of the very many, many factors that influence health and ideal dietary choices and genomic testing should not be the sole criteria used to make nutrition recommendations. Lifestyle, health history, health status, personal preference, and many more are factors that also influence nutrition behavior. Nutrigenomics is a relatively new field that is still gaining traction in the mainstream acceptance and it can be a useful tool that can help people overcome health obstacles that other approaches cannot. So that's all I have for you today. I'm going to leave you with the same message I leave you in every single one of our Dear Heart and the Brain podcast episodes. Keep that brain sharp, keep that heart healthy, and go dominate. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and above all, thank you for your interest in science.